This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who is never going to dance again because guilty feet have got no rhythm. He is the captain. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling my friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring a beer from one of Canada's best breweries, Propeller Brewing Company. Propeller is Canadian, but today's beer is called London Style Porter. Propeller's awesome porter has won gold medals at Chicago World Championships and the Canadian Brewing Awards. Garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And this week we are drinking cold beer thanks to our good friends. First up, we have a shout out and a cheers to Carolyn in Syracuse, New York. And a big we like your chip to James in Conroe, Texas. Next up, here's a cheers to our friend Mike in Richmond, Virginia. And a big shout out to Dana D in Fort Worth, Texas. Does Fort Worth ever cross your mind? Last but certainly not least, we have Carrie and in Spencer, Indiana, who says, We are the best. But now, you know wait, who, wait, who's the best? Who is truly the best? Question mark. It's everyone that went to truecrimegarage.com and donated to this week's beer fund. That's who's the best. Well, I thought simply the best was Tina Turner. Better than all the rest. Better than. <laughs> and if you want to be better than all the rest, download the free Stitcher app. Listen to all of the old True Crime Garage episodes there. And sign up with Stitcher Premium and check out our other show, Off the Record. That is enough of the business, Captain. All right, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
tragic story about the brutal killing of a 38-year-old man. That's how a Crown attorney described the evidence of what a Winnipeg jury will hear for the next several weeks. And a warning, the details are extremely graphic. At the trial today, the jury heard Robin Green from Shoal Lake was stabbed to death 68 times. It happened on July 1st, 2003. He was decapitated and his body cut up into eight separate pieces and left in a bathtub in a suite in the Royal Albert Hotel. The Crown says the victim's organs were removed and never found. Sidney Tearhouse Moore is charged with second-degree murder. His lawyer, Greg Brodsky, told the jury they agree Tearhouse Moore is the killer, but says his client doesn't know how the killing took place. The jury was told that Tearhouse wrote letters to a Canadian journalist and American publisher depicting the killing itself. Tearhouse also explains how he's infatuated with Jeffrey Dahmer, the American serial killer who cut up his victims. Court heard the previous day, Green met Tearhouse over drinks at the Woodbine Hotel. Then went back to Tearhouse's suite to have sex, where Green was killed. Court was told that Tearhouse walked into the remand center the following day thinking it was a police station. He told the corrections worker that he had been drinking, that he blacked out, and that when he awoke, the body was chopped up in his tub back at his hotel room. Months after the killing at the Royal Albert Hotel, it appears the man charged with the murder wanted to talk about it. But was any of it true? That's what a Winnipeg jury must decide at the Sydney Tearhouse murder trial. While in jail, Tearhouse began corresponding with a Winnipeg journalist who at the time had a weekly call-in show on a university radio station. Zapansky testified that Tearhouse gave him details about the murder he couldn't have found out any other way. The jury has heard so far that police were not able to find the internal organs of the victim the end result was supposed to be a book about the murder and upcoming trial called Trophy Kill, a title court was told that Tearhouse came up with. He remembers almost everything, but not the actual killing. Sidney Tearhouse told the jury he blacked out that day in July 2003. He says he doesn't know how Robin Green ended up mutilated in a hotel suite bathtub. But what he does remember is meeting up with a victim at the Woodbine Hotel. Tearhouse describes how the two went on a drinking bender, ending up in his suite at the Royal Albert. He says he got high on cocaine and Oxycontin, had sex with Green a few times, and took some nude pictures of the victim. Eventually, the two fell asleep. Tiros told the jury he woke up about seven hours later to a sickening smell in the suite, saying, quote, I entered the bathroom and looked over to the bathtub, and he was deceased. He was dismembered. I threw up into the toilet because of what I'd seen. Tiros then walked to the remand centre thinking it was a police station. Staff called 911. Tiros admitted to telling the 911 operator, I think I killed someone. While in jail, he wrote letters about the killing to a Winnipeg writer who promised him a book deal. Tiros now says the gory letters were all made up. I had no one to talk to. I was locked up 24 hours a day. I guess in a sick way, it was entertainment for me. Tearhouse testified he got the killing details from jail library books. True crime stories of serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer. But the Crown argued many details, things like blood splatter, match the actual crime scene. And are details only the real killer would know. Stacey Ashley, CTV News, Winnipeg. The fate of Sidney Tearhouse now rests with the jury. They will decide if the man is guilty of manslaughter in the death of Robin Green or second-degree murder. Evil. That's how the Crown describes Sidney Tearhouse, telling the jury he stabbed and dismembered Robin Green, then neatly stacked the victim's body parts in the bathtub of his hotel room. 
earlier this man was decapitated, he was disemboweled, he was eviscerated, and certainly the court will take that into account. But Tierhouse's lawyer says it was not a premeditated murder. You can't say this is the worst possible offense. The worst possible offense would be if he lured somebody, premeditated the crime, and was guilty of first-degree murder. Shall We Dance is an American film released back in 2004. The film debuted on October 15, 2004. Now, the story takes place in Chicago, but the movie was filmed in Winnipeg, up in Canada, back in 2003. Shall We Dance is a romantic comedy starring Richard Gere, Jennifer Lopez, Susan Sarandon, Stanley Tucci, and Nick Cannon, among others. The film is a remake of the 1996 Japanese film of the same name. It is not a remake of the 1937 film, Shall We Dance, starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. The film had a cast full of big names and a budget of $50 million, so success was really the only expectation. Once released, the film grossed more than $11 million opening weekend. The film ran at the box office for 133 days, grossing over $57 million in the United States and a worldwide total of over $170 million. But if anyone tuned in today to True Crime Garage just to hear about Richard Gere, Susan Sarandon, or even J-Lo... You're in luck. (laughs) Actually, I'd be shocked, stupefied even. Mm -hmm. There is a much bigger story here, one that fits well within these four walls of our garage studio. A sick and disturbing story. There are many different versions of this true crime story. The following timeline may be the closest one that we will ever have to the truth in short form. This story, as you may have guessed, takes place in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Population about 700,000 people. Winnipeg is very much in the south part of Canada, somewhat near the U.S. border, and one of this great city's nicknames is the Gateway to the West. Why? Well, if you look at a map, you'll understand. This case takes place back in 2003. On July 1st, this is a Canadian national holiday called Canada Day. On this day, Canadians celebrate the anniversary of July 1st, 1867, when three separate colonies became one. And just like the great U.S. of A's 4th of July, this day is celebrated with fireworks, parties, parades, and barbecues. July 1st, 2003 in Winnipeg was a hot summer day. 38-year-old Robin Green traveled a few hundred miles to Winnipeg to visit with family and to celebrate and party for the holiday. On this morning, he was making his way to downtown Winnipeg walking. He stumbles upon a group of onlookers. This is a group of fans hanging near where they are shooting this movie, where they are filming the movie. These fans are hoping to catch a glimpse of some of the famous movie stars. There is a decent amount of security personnel in this area. Now, Robert continues on about a block or two north of this location. He finds several trailers parked side by side. Here, unfortunately, there does not seem to be much in the way of security personnel. 
Robin, excited about this opportunity, decides to make his way inside of one of these trailers to see what he can find. He was looking for any goodies that might be lying around. So now inside one of these trailers, Robin is looking for something valuable. And inside a cabinet, he finds a Ziploc bag containing several pieces of jewelry. This he snatches and stuffs the Ziploc into his pocket. Robin exits the trailer and continues walking off. He's now heading downtown toward Main Street. A short time later, Susan Sarandon's assistant enters this same trailer, the one that Robin has just recently fled. She notices that one of Susan's earrings is lying on the floor. The assistant then reports this to Susan, and the two do a little investigating and quickly realize that some of Susan's jewelry is missing from the trailer. Is this her actual jewelry or prop jewelry? That detail is a bit confusing as it's reported both ways. I actually believe it to be hers, but she did wear some of this jewelry in the filming of the movie. Right. So it makes it a little little difficult there. Around 10 a.m., famous actress Susan Sarandon calls the police. This is to report that a bag of jewelry was missing from her trailer, located on the set of where they are filming the movie Shall We Dance. This was a set of gold jewelry, a necklace, bracelet, and one of her earrings. Remember, the other was found on the floor of the trailer, alerting the assistant that something might be wrong. Mm -hmm. It has been reported, too, that this was costume jewelry, which would make it sound or believe that it that it belonged to the studio, that it was just a prop used for the movie. Further investigation, I found that the the necklace, which will be really one of the centerpiece items of this week's story, the necklace is valued at $4,000. So probably not just costume jewelry for the movie itself. Not too much later, this is around 11 a.m., Robin Green steps into a bar called The Woodbine. This bar opened up earlier that day. This is an older bar that hosts a hard-drinking group of regulars. Here, Robin feels at home, so he is drinking and chatting with the other patrons there. Right. At this bar is where Robin Green meets 33-year-old Sidney Tearhuse. Sidney is an overweight guy who has been at the bar for an hour or so drinking. The two do not know each other. In fact, as said, Robin is from out of town. Tearhuse was raised in Winnipeg, but he had been living out of town for about 10 years. Now, Tearhuse is a recently out-of-work chef. According to Tearhuse, Robin is chatting with the patrons and flashing this gold jewelry that he, he has with him, and he's offering the jewelry up for sale. Mm-hmm. It's been reported that Robin was attempting to get $15 for the gold necklace. Robin doesn't find any takers. What he does find is Tearhuse, who sparks up a conversation with him, and then the two start sharing some drinks. Now, after some drinks, Tearhuse invites Robin Green back to his hotel room. This is in the early afternoon hours of July 1st. The two return to Tearhuse's hotel room. Tearhuse is staying at the Royal Albert Hotel, and this hotel is nearby. It's within walking distance of the bar. Tearhouse was renting room number 309. 
Once there, the two men continue to drink and party. This leads to some sexual activity and then later some playful activity. One of the men has one of those old disposable cameras, so they take some photos. Ironically, Tearhuse takes a photo of Robin Green sitting in the bathtub. After all of this, the two would eventually leave the hotel room. Robin wanted to take a nap, but Tearhuse wanted to go back to the bar. I can only assume that they agreed to go back to the bar. They did take a walk. Later, according to one of the men, they walked down to where the Shall We Dance movie down to the filming location. Here is my general understanding of the filming situation. It was fairly early on in the filming process, and Susan Sarandon was on set by this time for a couple of days or so. But it was early enough that Jennifer Lopez had not yet arrived into town. The two men who, again, just met hours earlier, they walked down to the filming location and then they walked back to the bar. It does not sound like they stayed for very long on this second visit to the bar. They did have a drink. Apparently, at one point, Tearhuse introduces Green to the bartender. The bartender would later say that she believed that Green was quite intoxicated, but Tearhuse, not as much. Mm-hmm. But Tearhuse wanted to go fetch some ice before returning to the room, so he asked the bartender, after the introduction was made, to keep an eye on Green which the bartender did. Tearhuse returned fairly quickly, and then he escorted Green back to the Royal Albert Hotel and back to room 309. According to Tearhuse, once the two were there, Green eventually fell asleep and Tearhuse blacked out, or they both blacked out. This portion is a bit unclear. The next day, the morning of July 2nd, Sidney Tearhuse wakes up from a blackout due to drugs and alcohol. He gets up and he walks into the restroom, and there Tearhuse finds the body of Robin Green, dead in the restroom. According to Tearhuse, he then walks to a nearby building that he assumes is a police department. When asked, you know, the standard questions, how can I help you or what can we do for you, Tearhuse says, I need to speak with somebody. I am staying at a hotel nearby. I blacked out last night, and when I woke up this morning, I found a man dead in the bathtub. Right, and at this point, we don't know how intoxicated he still is or what drugs he still is on Mm -hmm. or how much he's sobered up. And like you said, he thinks it's a police department, but it's not actually a police department. It does make sense that he would believe this to be a police building. It, it is in a sense. I mean, you right. would see officers entering and exiting this building, but it is not. He, in fact, has walked into the Winnipeg Remand Center, which is a pre-trial detention center located in downtown Winnipeg. Yeah, It houses people waiting for court decisions on their charges or placement in correctional centers. It is a minimum, medium, and maximum security facility. So they have to get someone from the actual police department here to talk with this man to make and take his statement. Well, they do. 
They dispatch two officers to the remand center. The officers talk with Tier Hughes and take his statement, in which Tier Hughes very matter-of-factly explains he spent the day before drinking all day and doing drugs. He says he met the victim and they went to his room for drinks and for casual sex. Tier Hughes says he eventually passed out from being so intoxicated, and then when he woke up and walked into the restroom, he found the victim dead. Yeah. How did you do it? He was asked. And Tier Hughes said he chopped the guy up. With what? A knife, he said. Where is the knife now? It's on the floor of the bathroom at my hotel room. Right. This, of course, triggering further investigation, starting with Tierhuis and three officers going, physically going to the Royal Albert Hotel to room 309 to investigate. Tierhuis's hotel room is on the third floor of this old hotel. At the time of our case, the hotel was like 90 years old. Mm-hmm. This hotel has an elevator, but... I don't think there was any air conditioning at the hotel. And we did say this was in the middle of a hot summer. Yeah. What they did find there is truly just like something out of a horror film. There was no way for the officers to prepare themselves for what they were about to find. Two officers are going to go into the hotel room to see what's going on. Now, an additional officer and Tierhuis are going to stay out into the hallway. So now they are at the Royal Albert Hotel, standing at the door for room 309. They open the door and walk in. The room is small, and the room is a mess. The first thing they notice is a blood-soaked bedsheet lying on the floor and a blood-soaked mattress as well. There was a good amount of blood on two of the walls in this small room. They walk into the restroom and they're lying in the bathtub, positioned as though he is looking in the direction of the doorway, is the nude, dissected body of 38-year-old Robin Green. Robin is lying on his back inside of this old clawfoot bathtub. Robin's mouth was wide open, and one of his eyes was missing. The other had been stabbed or punctured. His head decapitated but placed neatly back onto the body. The chest had several deep stab wounds and a figure eight pattern was carved into the chest area as well. There was also a long cut running from the neck area straight down the center of the chest. This wound was a big one and was open and exposing an empty abdomen. The organs had been removed. The arms had been cut clean through, cut just below the elbows. The legs, too, cut clean all the way through, just below the knees. The body was sawn in half at the waist. All in all, the victim is now in eight pieces, put back together inside the bathtub. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL 
is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. 
Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery danger, and romance, and customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right. Cheers, mates. And a big cheers to everybody. 100 million downloads. That's a lot of people. This week. Just in the last hour. Right. Everybody said, if you got paid a dollar for every download, I'm like, yeah, we we could buy a bigger and better garage. We would do the show from our yacht. <laughs> True crime yacht. More importantly, I know mm-hmm. this episode is coming out on Tuesday, but we do want to take this moment to recognize all of our great veterans who are currently serving and who have served in the past. Thank you all and cheers. A big cheers to every one of our great veterans. All right. So we have a situation where we have a guy that's in from out of town and he's snooping around on a movie set and he's looking for something of value. Yeah. He's, he's straight up looking to steal something. Right. So he gets some jewelry, goes to a local bar, thinks, Hey, this is worth something. I'm going to ask $15. Right. Doesn't get that, but strikes up a conversation. This guy, now they're drinking together, possibly doing drugs together decide to go back to the guy's room that's living in town. Seems like he's living in this hotel. Room 309. Correct. Sex happens, and it seems like murder happens. And then the next day, Tear Hughes, which was renting the room, room 309, goes to a correction facility and tells them, hey, I think I murdered this guy. They send police officers there. 
again, we don't know how intoxicated he is or, or what his state is at this point. But as police officers, you're probably thinking, is this, you know, they, they hear crazy stories all the time. Is this guy for real? You know, we have to check this out now. Can you imagine what they're feeling as they're escorting this individual back to his hotel room? And once they open the door, you have to start thinking, well, at least that part of the story is correct. And and, and that part of the story is truthful that he's at least staying there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of issues with this portion of the story. And one, that's why we said early on, this might be the closest version to the truth in short form uh, regarding the timeline. Right. That we're going to get. And the reason being is we have two key players in this timeline. Unfortunately, only one of them is still alive and appears to be very guilty of some heinous, horrible acts. Right. And they're the ones that are providing us with the timeline. So as said, as you said, we don't know the state of mind of Sidney Tierhuis or how intoxicated or screwed up, effed up he could be from drugs or alcohol or both or whatever. Right. At the moment that he's telling the police about this, we also don't know what his state was leading up to this and, and during the course of the murder of this man and then the really what he's doing here, what has been done is somebody creates this it's it's sickening to say it this way. It's almost horror artwork by design. I mean, it, truly that's what it is. We have a victim here that was killed mutilated and then displayed displayed for somebody to see this. And as said, these are veteran police officers in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is not look shout out to our Canadian brothers and sisters, but anybody up in Canada will tell you Winnipeg is not the nicest city in the world. It's, it's, it's nice, but it, I believe it's the murder capital of Canada. So these officers have seen a lot in their days what they have not seen is this. They've never seen anything like this before. I don't know that many, many people have Shit, it. I don't know that anybody has. Yeah. And I think like you said, I mean, it's, it's very odd. It's almost a piece of artwork in, in a sense. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but you have an individual that was cut up in eight pieces and almost put back together. And like you said, is uh positioned in a way that they're looking at the door, but the head is severed. So at some point they have to start moving the body to realize that these parts are severed. And what I find very interesting is that you have a situation where the body's in eight pieces that there's a figure eight, almost like maybe those are connected in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very strange and, and, and very, um, horrifying yeah and i i hate to use the word artwork because that that certainly holds no meaning here but anybody that's seen the the tv series hannibal will understand i mean that's what they were trying to depict in that dramatization of fictional crimes this is something that happened in real life right and then you also have a situation like i said we we have this individual confessing to this crime. I mean, he basically, you know, you know, explains to him how you did it. Well, how did you do it with this knife? And then they 
find the knife. And, and so you, you almost have the confession there, but he's also stating that he, you know, they blacked out or passed out. And as far as like my knowledge goes, like I have friends that will drink certain things or maybe take certain things that will cause them to black out and be in a blackout state. I have only been in one blackout state and you were actually with me uh, on a carnival cruise when I called a bingo on the 311 cruise. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a bunch of pictures with me with some somewhat famous people that people started sending to me when we got back from the cruise and I was like, oh, that's a funny Photoshop picture. And they're like, no, no, you actually met that person and I took your picture and I, I have no memory of that at all. But as far as I know, that's the only time in my life that I've ever been in this quote-unquote blacked out phase where I'm actually walking around and talking to people and, mm-hmm. and, and acting like I exist in this world and reality, I don't remember any of that. Yeah, and that's the weird thing about Tier Hughes's, if you want to call that a confession, when he's reporting this crime, you're almost getting two stories immediately where he's saying, I blacked out, I don't remember the murder, but but when asked questions, how did you kill him? Like, well, I chopped him up, I used a knife, the knife is on the bathroom floor. I guess those are all things he could have learned from just walking into the bathroom that morning and finding the body that he left there the day before. Well, and you said there was no air conditioning. And I heard that when Tierhus went into the bathroom and saw this scene that he actually got sick mm-hmm. and threw up in the toilet. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And then it's crazy to think that this person would be in a blacked out state and be able to do all that. And again, chop up the body and put it back together and then display it in such a way. After seeing this incredibly horrifying scene, the officers went back into the hallway and this is when they formally arrest Sidney Tierhuse. They put Tierhuse in handcuffs. The officers, these are, as said, seasoned veterans and that doesn't matter. They are rattled very badly by the sight of this body in eight pieces, then reassembled, put on display. The cause of death was multiple stab wounds. And there in room 309, the crime scene texts, when they're going through this whole scene, they find Susan Sarandon's stolen jewelry that was reported as stolen the day before. Right. Now, one of the key players in this case is going to be a man that most of you listening may know. We have discussed him on this show several times. In fact, he was a guest on the show back when we covered the Luca Magnata case in episodes 122 and 123. A.K.A. Puka Nahata. And of course, we are talking about Dan Zupanski. You know, Captain, sometimes things happen for a reason. Sometimes things in life really just kind of happen because they, I feel like they're supposed to. Right. When Dan Zupanski became involved in this case, in Sidney Tierhuse's case, in a way, the case almost chose him. Dan was keeping an eye on this case in particular, and for good reason. He was involved with an organization called the Peoples for Justice. Dan was clipping news articles about the Tierhuse case early on. 
The papers were calling Tier Hughes the hotel room killer. And there were headlines such as, I'm not a monster. I am not Jeffrey Dahmer. The Peoples for Justice is basically an organization that is probably fighting and lobbying for a lot of things, uh, victim advocacy type things. But one thing that they are truly fighting for is stiffer penalties and sentences for murderers. The general problem here is that murderers do not receive a lengthy enough of a sentence and most of what would be determined to be first degree murder in our country, most of these types of crimes get reduced to simple manslaughter charges in Canada, resulting in the offender receiving a shorter sentence for taking someone's life. Dan has been corresponding with a man who he went to high school with. The man was housed at the remand center waiting for a court date. One day, this man, his name is Don. He tells Dan, guess who I'm, I'm being housed with. Mm. I'm being housed with the hotel room killer, Sidney Tierhuis. One of just many strange and bizarre things about Tierhuis in this case, Zupanski said Tierhuis Facing murder charges, waiting for a court date in this situation would have been strongly advised to not discuss the case with anyone, especially the media. Tierhuis, though, seemed to enjoy the attention, and he was granting interviews almost immediately after his arrest. Dan asked Don if he could work to build some type of rapport with Tierhuis, get Tierhuis to believe that they may even be friends, and see if he could get Tierhuis to talk with Dan. Dan at the time had a radio show called Off the Cuff. It was an interview-style show covering all kinds of topics. Well, in this case has to be huge on a couple levels. One, the gruesome nature of the crime, but two, the connection with this big movie star and this big movie set. Yes, it is. It would have been bigger news, and this is coming from several Canadians' perspectives. This would have been bigger news had it occurred in a city like Toronto or Vancouver. Right. But Not so seedy. Well, yeah, and the thing is, to put it in its simplest form, the way it's been explained to me is, unless a crime or a murder happens in one of those two cities, it's just not well-covered through the media. It doesn't get the amount of media attention that it would garner in those other, those bigger cities. Right. The simplest introduction from Don to get Tierhuis to talk with Dan Zupanski would just be to see if Tierhuis would like to be a possible guest on Dan's radio show. This is the tactic that they're going to use because they already know at this point that Tierhuis seems to be enjoying these interviews and, is more than willing to talk with the media. Well, right. And when he's talking to the media, I think he's also trying to get more attention by making statements like, I'm not a monster. Yes, this act that I did was monstrous, but I'm not a monster. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. And and when you, in a crime case, you mention the word or the name Jeffrey Dahmer, that's going to get more attention. Well, when this gets set up, Dawn does get Tierhuis to agree to talk with Dan Zupanski. This leads to Dan corresponding with 
Tierhuse and then taking a meeting with him. Sidney Tierhuse, his defense, and believe it or not, it's a viable one in Canada in 2003, 2004, and so on at the time. His defense basically is, yes, he did kill Robin Green, but it was not premeditated murder because Tierhuse had been using drugs and was intoxicated. He didn't remember the act itself, and he eventually turned himself in. This making a strong argument for a charge of manslaughter, not murder. Right, strong argument there, not, not here. That wouldn't work here. This would come with a pretty light sentence if someone like Tierhuse can get this horrible murder reduced to just a manslaughter charge. And this in particular is what Dan Zupanski and his friends with that organization, Peoples for Justice, one of the things that they were fighting for, one of, this is one of their big ticket items that they're fighting for. So a maximum penalty for what we, what the United States would call first-degree murder the planned targeted act of homicide in Canada, the maximum one could receive, there is no death penalty. The harshest punishment is life in prison with possible parole at 25 years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, some of our states have the death penalty. It's like, honey, we're going to take a vacation to Canada. And others that don't at least have life in prison without the possibility of parole. That's not even an option. This is life in prison in prison with parole at 25 years. Meaning you're going to get a parole hearing. Yeah, that's I mean that's ridiculous. I mean and there's multiple crimes here like here we do a thing where you go okay, well it's premeditated so it's first degree murder, but then also you have the mutilation of of the corpse. Mm-hmm. Add charges to that. So Possible parole after 25 years, this is the strictest punishment one could be handed at the time in Canada. And that's across the board. That's from sea to shining sea. The Canadian federal government's Bill C-53, Life Means Life Act, would change this by making life imprisonment without parole a mandatory sentence for heinous murders, such as planned and deliberate murders of police officers or planned and deliberate murders while the accused is committing sexual assault, hostage taking, or terrorism. Right. So they could be charged with first degree murder with no possibility of parole. The adjustment to that basically would be the lifers could eventually apply after 35 years to the federal cabinet for executive release. This bill, C-53, would be a good step in the right direction. I know there was a lot going on with attempting to make this Life Means Life Act active last year. I was, you know, not living in Canada. I was unable to confirm if, in fact, it is up and running by this time. It doesn't actually appear to be so, though. So first we have the issue of some monsters like Tearhuse getting paroled after 25 years. That sounds bad enough, right? But it doesn't stop there. When going to court, we are going to have a few other very threatening options that could play out here. First off, if his defense can prove that Tearhuse was drunk, high, messed up, 
basically out of his element. Right, blacked out. Well, then this would play to a reduction of what would be a murder charge to a much lesser charge of just manslaughter. Also, of course, reducing the sentence. To top all of that off, they have something called double time. And I believe that's the proper term for it. That's the term that would make sense. Right. Okay. So double time served for jail time while waiting for your trial. Plus, they have concurrent sentences instead of consecutive. Meaning if you're going to get 25 years for killing one person, well, then if you killed three people, you would get 25 years for each of those three people you killed for a total of 75 years. Right. But because you have concurrent sentences, you can serve out all of those sentences at the same time. So truly only really spending 25 years in prison. That is horseshit. So basically... It doesn't matter if I kill one person or two people. You'd think like, you know, as far as like serial killers go, you let's say you killed five people and then you go, well, okay, so we're going to have you um, charged. And these were all premeditated. So you get first degree murder. So each one carries a 25 year sentence, but you can serve all those sentences at the same time. The best example that I could offer up on, uh, on the fly right here would be Robert Picton. So Robert Picton is a Canadian who is convicted of six murders. I believe it's six murders. He's suspected of many more, right? Convicted of multiple murders receives 25 years for each one of those murders. He's only going to have to serve 25 years total. He doesn't get, you know, he's, we're not tacking all these together and, and doing them consecutively, which should be 150 years. Right. And, Thank God he'd be dead by then, but he's a real ass. Hat. <laughs> well, there's a lot of names you could call that, uh, individual. That Boner face. Very, very yeah. good. Boner face ass hat is what I'd call him. So we talked about the state of the body when they found it. First off, without getting too, too graphic. I think we're already past that. Well, here's the other, I'm trying to go through the whole idea of, is Tearhus lying about the fact that he was that he was drunk and drugged up and out of his element? Right. Well, we know he's at the bar drinking. We do know that, and we could spend a good amount of time going through what has been reported that he was drinking or taking that day. But to be honest with you, and we played that clip there, it's really all over the shop. Right. The, the different reports state that he took or smoked or ingested different things. So. I don't think that that's key here to really try to analyze if, in fact, we believe he was messed up. Not from that angle. We can do it on the opposite angle. And again, without trying to get too, too graphic, but of course it will have to be somewhat. So think about the amount of time. Just for a second, just stop and think about the amount of time it would take to do all of that to a body. Right. So just... How out of it could this hotel monster be at the time? Well, and also what we have in the States, and I don't know if it's different in Canada, but premeditation, you know, when you hear that clip from the lawyer, it's like premeditation to them almost seems like he had to plan this when he met him at the bar. Oh, I see you came into the bar. Now I met you. Now I'm planning this all out in my head where we have kind of, uh, determined in the United States that 
premeditation could be you're in an argument with somebody heated and decide, well, I'm going to go out to my car and get a gun. And, and within that small window of time, you have now, you know, basically created a plan, meaning there was premeditation. Correct? Am, am I correct in this? No, you're spot on. I mean, there are situations where within seconds we determine that pre it's a premeditated murder. Right. And I think uh, unless you can prove, I think it would be more on the def- on the defense to prove that this uh, monster, you know, this boner face is, was in a state of, you know, being blacked out or a drug induced, um, psychosis state or something like that. But think about the cuts too, not just all of the time that it would take to do that to a body, the, yeah. the cuts themselves. This is not easy to do. Not only is it a lengthy amount of time, it's not an easy task to do. This would take some level of skill. Tyrkus was a chef for a long time. That would help, but this would take a lot of time and some skill to perform this act. If Tyrkus was truly as out of it as he claims to have been, this would have been even sloppier and the labor involved. A drunken high man would have gave up at some point before doing so much post-mortem mutilation to the body. Right. I, th- I think the premeditation, there's not only just premeditation on the murder, but I think there was premeditation on how I'm going to eventually get out of this, you know, and, and what what's my excuse going to be. Also, I don't think that we have said this, but all of the organs were removed. These were never recovered. So that in itself is some evidence that a portion of this story is missing from this narrative that Sidney Tierhus is putting forth about the actual murder. Yeah, and I don't mean to be more gruesome than we already are, but you know, I would do a little bit of, you know, furniture rehab or or, you know, take an old piece of furniture and and, and redo it, repaint it or whatever. And just, you take like a, a simple dining room table to saw the leg. There had to be individuals in this hotel that he's renting these rooms that heard these noises happening, that heard something. And that would give us a little bit more of a timeline because like you said, I mean, just the dissection of the body, I think there probably be ways to prove that it took over an hour and and when did that go towards the evidence that this was all premeditated according to Tearhus, robin green died at 6 20 p.m i want to thank everybody so much for joining us in the garage one million thank yous in parts unknown and until tomorrow. Yeah, while you're sitting there waiting for tomorrow's episode to drop, go to iTunes, leave us an awesome five-star review. Until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 